It is Sunday morning, and good morning, everybody. Well, let's see. I was able to park the Ark a little bit up the street. My goodness, it has really been raining, hasn't it? Well, good morning. I'm Bob Salter. Welcome to our program on The Fan. And on our show today... We have a busy hour with you between 6 and 7 on Sunday mornings. We're always pleased when we have guests join us in studio, and especially someone who has joined us before. Allison Cohen is in studio with us today. She is Senior Director of Programs for Why Hunger. We're at that time of the year. We'll be talking about that annual Thanksgiving radio tradition, Hungerthon. Yep, it's Hungerthon time. And talking about the work of Why Hunger. A couple of other guests are going to join us by phone as well in the course of uh, this hour. First of all, Allison, it's nice to see you again. Welcome back. Thanks, Bob. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having us back every year. Well, we uh, do enjoy having you come in and share some thoughts with us. Um, you know, let's get right into talking about uh, why hunger and the situation with hunger, uh, because that's one of the things that we're going to be exploring in the course of this hour. And we have guests who have very interesting perspectives uh, in that area, too. Here we are. It's almost the end of 2019. A little bit of background, first of all, on why hunger. And then the second question for you is, as we end 2019, where are we in terms of, I guess, the real situation with hunger, and especially hunger in New York City? Sure. So... Why Hunger is a nonprofit organization. We have been around since uh, 1975 when we were founded by the late Harry Chapin and the radio DJ Bill Ayers. And they founded the organization on the fundamental belief that access to nutritious food is a human right and that hunger is a solvable problem. And Why Hunger still has that fundamental belief at its core and we are working to build broad-based social movements that are led by folks at the grassroots level, by grassroots community-based organizations, community leaders that are changing the systems, policies, and institutions that perpetuate hunger and poverty around the world. Um, we are a grassroots and a movement support organization, which means that we are investing resources, funding, training, technical assistance, to build the capacity of innovative grassroots organizations across the U.S. that are working at the root causes of hunger and poverty. Um, we want to really help to strengthen and um, multiply the impact of their local solutions, really amplify the voices of those who are experiencing hunger and poverty and who are sitting right in the center of the solutions. And when we talk about Hungerthon, Hungerthon really runs from – November 1st through the end of the year. Through the end of December, yep. Okay. Yeah, it does. And you can learn more about Hungerthon at hungerthon.org. And the big day in terms of the radio broadcast regarding Hungerthon is? It's Tuesday, 
November 26th. Is that correct? That's Did I correct. get the date right? You got it. You got it. Just, it's just two days away. <laughs> two days away. Hungerthon.org. <laughs> yes. So we take over the airways and um, and get an opportunity to really talk about and and um, and advocate uh, to to end hunger and to really lift hunger up as the as a right to nutritious food. Okay, let's talk about that point because this idea of nutritious food being a human right, you know. As I say that and look at those words on paper and think to myself, this isn't brain surgery, okay? Right. Shouldn't this be right. common sense? Yes. Yes, it should. And we've, we've over the past, I would say, five or six years, we've started really lifting up this phrase about nutritious food as a human right, which um, automatically brings us to the uh, to a, a certain kind of perspective or lens or analysis that says, you know what? Charity is not going to end hunger. It is really, really important that we have these thriving food banks and thriving food access organizations that are helping people now, but that is not what is going to ultimately end hunger in this country. And so we really have to get down to the root causes of hunger, which in so many things are, you know, it's, there's an intersection of many different things that that uh, lead to hunger, but poverty is probably the the central one, and um, and those kinds of um, broad based change can only come when um, the folks that are experiencing it are really advocating for changes in systems and policies and institutions. And uh, two of the folks that we're going to have on with us uh, today have uh, a deep history in New York City food policy. And the situation uh, here in New York is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. We'll explore this whole role of food policy um, over the course of uh, this hour as well. You know, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking also of some of the people who are listening to our discussion who they may say, well, wait a minute. The idea of ending hunger, is that really possible? It's possible. It's possible. It's very possible. It takes a certain amount of political will. It takes, I think, um, uh, one of the reasons that that we're so grateful for this opportunity during Th- Hungerthon is that it really um, it, it requires um, requires a certain amount of investment in understanding what what some of the root causes are. And so we have this opportunity um, on the air this month to really talk about some of the underlying issues and to, um, and to get at the roots and to try to dispel this myth of, of everyone in, in our country can just simply pull themselves up by their bootstraps, that this is just a myth that does not um, explain the reality for folks that are living in hunger and poverty. And I can give you an example of that we run the National Hunger Hotline. And um, recently we had a call from a, a gentleman named Mike from southern New Jersey, and he had a really successful business for more than 30 years. But his wife, Sasha, unfortunately developed stomach cancer, and they had to sell off everything to pay for their medical debt. And they lost their home, and they lost their business, and they struggled to get back on their feet. They didn't have much money left for groceries. And that is when um, they called the hotline, and and we were able to connect them to uh, a, you know a source of of um, access to fresh fruits and vegetables, and including helping them uh, to access SNAP, which is the food stamp program, and other things. And 
so we're very it's 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 fantastic that we have those those uh you know those, those sort of that social safety net but we're seeing that social safety net really really become frayed and um and we'd like to uh to strengthen that so, social safety net as one way to really um ensure that folks have the right to nutritious food and you know you as you're saying that I'm also thinking what it must have taken for him even to make that call. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, you're a local entrepreneur, you have a successful business for 30 years and one really tragic event and, um, and you're struggling, mm-hmm. you're struggling to feed yourself and someone battling with a, um, with a, with a health crisis actually needs that highly nutritious food. We all need it, but in those situations, it's critical. Mm. Now, I guess the other aspect of this discussion gets into exactly who's listening on the political side here. Has the receptiveness improved over the years to this message? Uh, we think so. We think so. We're um, one of the one of those indicators, and it's you know it's difficult to sort of completely. Um, Identify the 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 impetus, but hunger is down in the U.S. a little bit. Um, it was, I believe, last year when I was here. It was um, the the USDA um, Economic Research Service said that uh, hunger was at about uh, forty million people um, this year. This past year, the stats came back at thirty seven million. That's that's one in nine people. Um, that's still abysmal and very high and and unnecessary in a in a country like ours and um especially when you're talking about uh of that 37 million 11 million being children so mm. one in seven children mm. um we often don't think about those that are the most vulnerable in our society i mean 11 million children um and uh it you know also in rural areas where we're where there are about thirteen percent of households in rural areas experience hunger and that's another thing that I think particularly as we are um residents of New York City and the the surrounding tri state area, we don't always think about rural areas as experiencing high levels of hunger, but they are experiencing it higher than we are in in urban areas. Mm. All right, our first guest by phone is uh, standing by. Would you introduce uh, Ray for us? Yes, I'd be happy to. Hi, Ray. Good morning. Ray is our, she works with me at Why Hunger. Very happy and proud to have her as a part of the U.S. programs, programs team. And she provides technical and logistical support for organizing shared learning spaces, which is a critical way in which we connect grassroots community groups to one another. She is um, a phenomenal writer, and so she is managing a lot of the editorial content for uh, our U.S. programs at Why Hunger, and she also provides some support to our Hunger Hotline, which I referenced earlier, and um, and the and the growing database of food access organizations around the the country. And before coming to Why Hunger, Ray worked at the New York City Department of Health in the Center for Health Equity, and she supported food access initiatives started by community members in Brooklyn. She is a proud founding member of the Central Brooklyn Food Cooperative, which is uh, is is coming into to reality every day, and um, she's still supporting other food sovereignty work locally. Ray, good morning. Welcome to our program here on The Fan. Good morning. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that lovely introduction, Allison. 
I'm going to put the same question to you that I stated to Allison a few moments ago. How would you describe the hunger situation here in New York? Here in New York, I think it is systematically a lack of access for folks who are low-income and mostly of color. And so for those folks, uh, a lot of the systemic things that have been happening, including um, gentrification right now, but things that have long been happening uh, throughout the decades have caused either the infrastructure to have not have enough um, adequate places for fresh fruits and vegetables, um, but then also systematic things that are happening that, is, that cause um, low employment and um, just um, all of those things that are the root causes of hunger. So for years, the folks who live in communities like I live in Bed-Stuy, um, you know, where there's 57 bodegas for every grocery store cannot access fruits and vegetables, and um, there's not a lot of policy created to address that. So I see it as a system of throughout the decades creating cities that don't don't have that in mind, and then also creating policy that don't focus on those people um, who have long not been able to access fresh fruits and vegetables for their families for generations. Mm. Well, it's an interesting situation. We've got a lot to explore. What we're going to do is take a pause in our discussion, come back with you and with Allison, and be able to talk more about uh, this topic. We'll also mention the fact that during this discussion, during this month, through the end of the year, you can be involved in supporting the efforts of Why Hunger. Go to hungerthon.org. Uh, you can get information there about donating, uh, getting involved in making real solutions to this idea of ending hunger in this country. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. We're talking with guests from Why Hunger, and we're talking about the topics of hunger and poverty on our program this morning. As you've been hearing, hungerthon.org has a wealth of information available along the lines of things we're talking about. You can also make a donation in support of the efforts of Why Hunger. Hopefully we're giving you some reasons and some motivation to uh, do that in our discussion. In studio with us is Allison Cohen, who is Senior Director of Programs for Why Hunger. And uh, joining us by phone on our program is the manager of U.S. Programs for Why Hunger, Ray, is it? Gomes. Gomes, yeah. last name is pronounced Gomes. Uh, Ray has just started talking with us before we um, paused on our break. Allison, you wanted to put a question out to you. Yeah, so I wanted to, I know Ray and I have had this conversation with each other before about who really needs to be at the policy table when we are talking about and designing policy for New York City in order to ensure that folks get access to good, high-quality, nutritious food. And I wanted, Ray, for you to, to expand on that a little bit and then um, maybe tell us about one or two initiatives that you're familiar with. Sure. So 
you know, in the absence of good policy, uh, communities have created their own solutions to address the lack of access. And so things like community gardens, farm stands, um, the Central Brooklyn Food Co-op, of course, have all been efforts for the community to address the lack of access to fresh fruits um, in the community. Um, and so food policy in New York City had historically, you know, been a conversation among electeds and consulting firms and a couple of nonprofits. Um, and, you know, opportunities for the community to share the types of solutions um, that they have been working on, but on very small, on a very small scale, um, have not really been available. Um, and so food policy decisions that are made to address the community, the community's problems, didn't have the community at the center of it. And so, you know, the, the community needs to be at the center. They need to be at the table addressing um, the, the problems that they've been long been having, um, accessing fresh fruits and vegetables. And so, you know, a good example of that was that in 2014, 2015, uh, the governor had this initiative to strengthen connections between um, upstate farming and downstate consumers and so wanted to create a food hub just as the food hub in, in Hunts Point um, in the Bronx, um, but for Brooklyn, and didn't really have a lot of community voices at the table. Um, and so a, a group of, those, of folks in the community, community-based organizations, wrote a letter basically calling that out. Um, and so in a different iteration of something very similar, um, it became part of the Vital Brooklyn Initiative. And so um, they've worked with ags and market, but also with community groups to, you know, create a feasibility study and then also to figure out just what type of food hub would work in central Brooklyn. And so a food hub is really a way for communities to easier access, to have easier access to food, um, both wholesale and retail operations. And so in order to understand what type of infrastructure would, would be appropriate for central Brooklyn, uh, this initiative looks a lot different from previous initiatives in that it really has the community um, input, and there's been a very large effort, um, I've, I've been included in that, to make sure that each step of the process is reported out to the community and is bringing back um, their thoughts about it, their analysis about it, and to keep that um, as a part of the conversation. And of course, as Alice mentioned, Alice mentioned the Central Brooklyn Food Co-op is, you know, all about community self-determination. Um, an effort, it was started by folks in Bed-Stuy primarily, some folks in Crown House, you know, talking about what is the best way to increase food, um, access to good food in the community. And so that conversation and process has taken place for the past six years. And we're at a point where we're looking for real estate. And, you know, all of this has pretty much happened in the absence of um, elected, direct elected support. Um, so you know, there are solutions at the table. There are ways that community is creating their own solutions. And what would help it is to have more support, more resources from government agencies, from policy. I mean, for example, if the food co-op was able to benefit, the food co-op would definitely benefit from a policy that would say any uh, community-owned grocery store can uh, have a government-owned building for 
a cheaper lease or for no lease for the first year while they're establishing. I mean, that would be an amazing policy that would help this effort really take off the ground. Right, essentially to facilitate the the community solution, and it, and that that is the that that should be the role of 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 our local governments. Exactly. Yeah. So when we're talking about the significance of Hungerthon and the significance of that to why hungers work throughout the year, two things come to mind. One, and I ask this question usually every year because. I think it's an important one. What's it like putting Hungerthon together? Um, oy. <laughs> That's what <laughs> that, it's like. That pretty much answers it. Oy. <laughs> it really is. Um, it's a time of year when it's all hands on deck. And so, um, you know, whether you're uh, a communicator at our organization or you're, a, you know, a program folk that's that's working with people around the world you're called on to um to come together and really uh sharpen our message and um and do things like get up at five in the morning and come and talk on the radio Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's our pleasure and we're so grateful that um wfan for instance supports this effort and um and that we get to do this every year. It's an opportunity not just to raise money, vital, vital funds for the organization, but it's also an opportunity to tell the stories and to really center the people who are experiencing hunger and poverty in these conversations. Uh, we're not um, asking you to bring cans of food in. We're not asking you to um, – and again, all of that is important. So please do that for your local food access organization. But we're also we're asking you through um, Hungerthon, and you can learn more about it at Hungerthon.org. We are asking you to help Why Hunger make a lasting difference. Uh, we're a four-star charity. We have the highest rating for excellence in fiscal management, accountability, and transparency. Um, 86 cents of every dollar raised goes directly to our programmatic work. So you can be sure that your money, when you donate to Why Hunger, is spent responsibly and it will have the greatest impact. It will go to help community-based organizations uh, amplify their their solutions and tell their stories and uh, bring a variety of different stakeholders to the table to make those uh, solutions a reality. We know, if, for instance, in New York City, that almost half of New York City households lack the income. Half of New York City households lack the income needed to meet their basic needs like food, shelter, transportation, and child care. And so it is not, we are not going to end hunger. We are going to, we're not going to end hunger if we are uh, just supporting um, food access organizations. We can only end hunger if we're looking at some of these root causes. And some of that's going to uh, require significant policy change. We folks need to make a living wage. Um, it's not about a minimum wage. It's about a living wage. And um, and that's, a, that's something that's going to require multiple stakeholders, not just policy. It's going to require business. It's going to require uh, community members, all kinds of folks coming to the coming to the table to help um, make that a reality. Ray, I want to thank you for uh, joining us on our program. Ray Gomes is manager of U.S. programs for Why Hunger. We appreciate your perspective in uh, this discussion. Certainly, good luck continued with your work. Thank you, thank you. Have a great morning. You as well. 
We continue in our discussion on The Fan this morning. In studio with us, Allison Cohen, who is Senior Director of Programs for Why Hunger, and uh, she's with us for the entire hour of our program. And our second guest is actually standing by uh, to uh, join us in uh, this discussion. Uh, she is co-founder of um, the Grassroots Advocacy uh, and the director of um, Equity Advocates. Correct. Uh, would you introduce Leah? Sure. Hi, Leah. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks both for having me on. Yes, we're excited to have you. Let me just give a little bit of intro. Leah is um, an anthropologist and a policy analyst with experience working on nutrition, public health, and benefits access within the nonprofit government, philanthropic, and business sectors. She is a co-founder of Equity Advocates, and now she's their grassroots advocacy director. And um, I was really excited to have Leah come on the, the show this morning to really can help us can deepen our conversation around the, the need for uh, New York City uh, food policy. And um, Leah has worked with New York-based nonprofit organizations and some of our government government officials to really advance some of the changes in the food system as a key mechanism to address the underlying structural causes of poverty and inequality. Um, so she's helped to develop advocacy strategies and build organizational capacity for uh, carrying out a public policy agenda to increase food security. So... Um, Leah, thank you so much for joining us and would love to hear a little bit more about your understanding of the role of food, a uh, role of policy in, in um, ending hunger and in um, creating healthy food systems and um, what some of the, the plans that Equity ha- Advocates has to make this a reality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you for having us on. Um, and so Equity Advocates, we are a nonprofit that works to ensure that all New Yorkers, regardless of race or income, can access and afford healthy food. And, and as you mentioned, we really approach this by focusing on policy change. So we partner with uh, community-based organizations in New York that are running food access and anti-hunger programs on the ground that are really embedded in community and invested in this work. And we provide them with the policy education and advocacy skills so that they can have a seat at the table when it comes to policy change. Um, and the reason that we focus on policy change is, is pretty simple. So in New York, over 1.7 million New Yorkers lack access to healthy food options. And we see that the disparities in who does or doesn't have access to that healthy food is too often connected to socioeconomic status or race, right? And that is not a coincidence. Um, you know, we, we know that food insecurity and hunger is a problem that is often caused or made worse by bad public policy. And so to solve hunger, we need to do more than ch- have, you know, charity feeding programs. And that's incredibly important, but we believe really strongly that we need policy solutions to really unravel this history and to address the root causes of hunger. And then even more, we believe that those that are most impacted by a lack of healthy food access should be the ones that are really determining what those policy solutions are, right? And so our focus is about building up the capacity of groups on the ground who know what's working and know what's not working, what needs to change, so that they can really engage in advocacy and, you know, build relationships with policymakers and help be the the ones who are driving impactful food policy change so that we have, 
we have good policy change moving forward. In other words, you want to have a change that's, that's going to last, that has, has some real effect to it. Exactly, exactly, and that recognizes the work that is happening in communities, mm-hmm. right? You know, so, so government has its place, and philanthropic, uh, philanthropic charity organizations have its place, but really, when you look at some of the most successful uh, anti-hunger and food access programs, they are often community-driven and community-owned. And our belief is that when you listen to folks that are living in communities that have um, historic uh, lower access to healthy, nutritious, high-quality food that are living these experiences day-to-day, you're going to hear the solutions that actually need to happen. And so we want to make sure that those voices are reaching you know, New York City Hall, are reaching Albany, are reaching Congress, and are saying these are the kinds of policies that we need so we can do our work better. These are the kinds of public funding decisions that we need to see. We need to see you investing in our work and um, in our programs so that we, we um, really see those kinds of community-driven solutions thrive and scale. Okay, we're going to take a pause in our discussion. We'll come back, talk more with you, Leah, and also with Allison. 6.40 is our time. It's always nice when those singers stop by on Sunday mornings. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in discussion on our program talking about um, issues surrounding hunger and poverty. It's that time of the year, the time for the annual Thanksgiving radio tradition known as Hungerthon. Hungerthon.org, a website where you can go get information Along the lines of things that we're talking about in our discussion here, Allison Cohen is in studio. She's Senior Director of Programs for Why Hunger. Uh, Leah Cabron Eden is uh, joining us as well. She's co-founder, grassroots advocacy director of Equity Equity Advocates. Um, Allison, one thing I wanted to do here, um, because people join us at various points in discussion, in terms of Hungerthon, mm-hmm. what sort of things are there that will be available for people to take advantage of if they are kind enough to make a donation to support the efforts of Why Hunger? Sure. So you can learn everything at Hungerthon.org. Um, but let me just highlight a few things. So um, the generously, WFAN has joined our auction, um, our online auction. You can bid at Hungerthon.org backslash WFAN, and we have all kinds of uh, sports packages for sports enthusiasts to, to, to bid on, um, uh, tickets to various games um, and concerts and things like that. So please go to hungerthon.org backslash WFAN. Um, and then every year we have a couple of signature T-shirts and other items. We work with um, artists like Bruce Springsteen, Carlos Santana, um, Yoko Ono Linen to uh, create T-shirts that, um, like the one that I'm wearing, royal blue, gorgeous T-shirt that says, imagine uh, there's no hunger. Um, uh, John Lennon's, um, you know, imagine, based on John Lennon's Imagine song, we have a Hungerthon T-shirt, we have a tote bag, 
We have a Hungry Heart sweatshirt and T-shirt from Bruce Springsteen. These are all gifts that you can um, receive when you make a donation to Why Hunger. Okay. You wanted to pose a question to uh, Leah. Yes, yes. So, Leah, I wanted to... um, the equity advocates, and, and um, you can learn more about this organization, this New York City-based organization, um, if you, um, equityadvocates.org? It's uh, NY, New, as in New York, nyequityadvocates.com. So, yeah, you can learn more about us, sign up for our newsletter, donate, et cetera, all there. Okay, great. And um, I wanted to ask you, what is your vision? Like, what what do you what do you and and folks working with ed- equity advocates want to see happen in the next couple of years? What are you working to bring about? Yeah, so I would say two big, huge, lofty goals. Um, I think one is real policy change that would advance food equity and health outcomes and economic outcomes for lower um, lower income communities in New York. So real policy change, um, but that's real long term, right? And so I think our our vision for the the shorter or the, the nearer term is really having a robust and engaged advocacy community in the food space in New York. And so it's making sure that our partners who are um, running successful community food anti-hunger programs like farmers markets and urban farms, nutrition education, um, have a seat at the table in a real institutional way. So they have strong relationships with their elected officials. They are not intimidated by the policymaking process. They know how and when and where to get involved and speak up. They're listened to, and they're really driving the conversation of what kinds of policies and government funding is, is happening in our city. Um, in a, in a much deeper way than it than it is happening right now. And one thing I, I just want to highlight, because I just think this approach is so critical, and I'm not sure that it's happening in many other ways, and this is what Equity Advocates is about, is not speaking on behalf of mm-hmm. folks in the community, but really facilitating the the community members to be at the table and to be driving the conversation and to be determining the kind of food policy we need in New York City. So I think that is is critical to underscore that um, it's very much in aligned with uh, very much aligned with what Why Hunger is supporting around the world. In uh, we we take a back seat and um, and really. Uh, work as a support organization to ensure that those who are on the front lines are also at the table. Exactly. And those those folks that are on the front lines, as you said, have been doing this work for decades. And these leaders, which we found are, you know, most often women and people of color, they have deep, deep expertise in the food system and in their communities. And we really miss out as a community, and, and policymakers really miss out when they don't listen to those voices. And so as you're saying, we really see our role as taking a back seat and providing the infrastructure and support so that those community voices can be driving this conversation. And by those voices being in such a key role in the conversation, what is their reaction to that? I mean, what does that mean for them? Mm, that has been one of the most interesting parts of this this kind of work is being able to have those conversations and find out what's needed. So before Equity Advocates actually launched, we spent about a year holding community conversations and essentially asking groups like this, 
What would you want to say if you were part of this process? Do you need this? Do you want this? And we heard over and over and over again that um, community leaders who are doing this anti-hunger food access work recognize the value of policy change. They want to be at the table. They want to be the ones driving the conversation, but they just don't always have the time, the resources, the political connections to do that. Um, and so this has been really positive. We've been able to, over the last year, mobilize over 200 New York City um, community food advocates to get engaged in some way that they wouldn't otherwise have been able to. So whether it's meeting with their elected official or submitting testimony at a public hearing saying this bill is great, but it needs to do A, B, and C to, to really have an impact. Um, and so that's been the most exciting is to be able to see these voices who are so critical and want to be a part of the process actually take some of those steps and, um, and, and, and get involved. And many of these people, correct me if I'm wrong, Leah, are, um, have started in their communities food pantries and soup kitchens and other uh, kinds of food access organizations, including um, community farms and that and urban farms. Um, and they're seeing the demand for food pantries and soup kitchens is increasing. That's mm-hmm. what we're hearing from them, that, that uh, last year, I think, it, well, in 2018, New York City pantries and soup kitchens fed 5% more people than the previous year, while 34% of New York City pantries and soup kitchens reported having to turn people away, reduce their portion size, or limit their hours due to a lack of resources. And, um, and, and, and fundamental systems change is what is going to ultimately make a difference in those folks that are seeking those resources and folks that are, that are, are, have been, been running these food pantries and soup kitchens for 30, 40, some 50 years, they want to see an end to it. They do not want to exist. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're seeing need, need rise. Um, and whether that's due to, uh, you know, threats and reductions in our federal safety net programs or concerns among immigration um, communities here in, in New York City. You know, we're seeing folks who have, who have full-time jobs, who maybe have multiple full-time jobs, who still have that kind of need. And so that does put a strain on these kind of organizations. And, what, and so one other thing that I would add is that we've seen that a lot of the groups that are, you know, may have started out running a pantry or running a food access program are now trying to build in opportunities for those kind of programs to be job creators, um, to help create jobs and keep dollars in, the, in their local community through the local food system. So whether it's, you know, moving from sort of uh, supporting a charity model where nonprofits are sort of dropping in and providing resources or foods, actually investing in worker-owned co-op grocery stores or um, culinary uh, nutrition programs that are providing jobs for community members, we're seeing programs try to figure out ways to really address those root causes um, in some really exciting ways. And so we want to see our, our city government and our, our, our um, federal government really support those kinds of initiatives. Very interesting discussion. Um, Leah, I want to thank you for joining us in our program uh, this morning. Certainly good luck with the work of Equity Advocates on the web at nyequityadvocates.com. Thank you for sharing with us in our chat today. Thank you so much. Well, Allison, Allison Cohen, who is uh, Senior Director of Programs for Why Hunger, before we wrap up and um, in our discussion, we should 
review a few things about Hungerthon because Hungerthon, I mentioned this earlier in our discussion, really starts November 1st but runs through to the end of the year, December 31st. Correct. Big day is when? Is on Tuesday, November 26th. We will be taking over the airways um, and really bringing you messages of, of the work that Why Hunger is doing on the ground and why it matters, and also encouraging you to donate. Um, visit hungerthon.org in the meantime, and then on Tuesday you can call 800-5-HUNGRY. Hungerthon.org, the uh, website. You can go there, get information on some of the things that we've been talking about here today. You can also make a donation in support of the efforts of Why Hunger. Allison, as always, thank you very much for coming in and joining us. Today. Thank you. Much gratitude for being here yet again. And uh, let's hope for a very successful time with Hungerthon. Last year, over a million dollars was raised in Hungerthon. Let's hope that's exceeded this year, uh, too. Yes, you can be part of the solution. Remember that. Keep that in mind, especially on Tuesday. But literally, you could be right now. Well, that's going to do it for our program this morning. Let me just mention the fact the NFL preview will be along shortly. Rick Wolf and Sports Edge happens at 7.30. JJ, the morning line is along at 8.30. And, of course, that football Sunday program, Malusis and Deal, happens at 9 this morning. Our thanks for the technical direction this morning to Kevin Wall. I'm Bob Salter. We'll see you next Sunday morning here on The Fan.